Welcome to Sleep Tight Stories. The Frame Up by Wendy McLeod McKnight, a New Brunswick-based Canadian author. Chapter 1 Mona Dunn was late. She leaped from one painting to the next, her damp hair flying like streamers on a bicycle, her dress darkened here and there by still, soggy undergarments. She'd known there wasn't enough time, even without the calamity, which had involved a stranger farther down the beach whose presence had trapped her in the water thanks to an ill-thought-out decision to jump in wearing only her undergarments. Her mistake cost her 20 minutes. She would be the last to arrive at Lord Beaverbrook's monthly meeting, just like last month and the month before. Lord Beaverbrook would not be pleased. Breathless, she arrived at the meeting location. Salvador Dali's Santiago El Grande, one of the largest and most dramatic paintings in the art gallery. With its massive horse and rider soaring toward the heavens. Located in the orientation gallery near the entrance, it was a crowd pleaser. Lord Beaverbrook was already speaking. After slipping through the picture frame into the meeting, Mona dipped behind Andre Readmore, hoping his voluminous cloak would hide her. I should like to remind you of the many important events that will occur at the Beaverbrook Art Gallery this summer. Max Aitken, AKA Lord Beaverbrook, read from his notes. Though his head was down, he added, Good of you to join us, Mouse. Max's pet name for Mona was Mouse, because according to him, she was everywhere and nowhere, and never seemed to get caught. Every head swiveled in her direction. Her friends, Madame Juliet and Edmund, flashed sympathetic smiles. Clement Cotterell stuck out his tongue. The horse and rider peered down and gave her hard stares. Mona curtsied and then fixed her attention upon Max, pretending the attention did not bother her in the least. Papa called it her imperious look, and it often served her well. To continue... Max said, flicking a bit of dried paint off the lapel of his jacket. The art restorer arrives today. A murmur rolled across the crowd like a wave. Mona saw Juliet gave Edmund a fearful look. No one liked being restored. It was a messy, tedious business, and it meant spending several days or weeks 
trapped in a workroom in the basement. Now, now, Max growled, waving the buzz away as if there were bees bothering him at the breakfast table. You all knew this was coming. Everyone has to do their share if we are to remain a top-tier art gallery. But I was only just restored, Lady Cotterell called out, swaying as if she might faint. Painted by a Dutch artist in the 17th century, she had a delicate temperament, thanks to being trapped in a painting for nearly 400 years with crying baby Francis, three rambunctious children, and a husband who complained constantly about being stuck at the Beaverbrook Art Gallery in New Brunswick, Canada, when his dream was to live at the Louvre in Paris. Lord Beaverbrook didn't glance up. Madam, your painting was last restored in 1973. It was that long ago? Lady Cotterell whispered to herself. As I said, Max continued, I do not yet have the exact schedule, but here is the restoration list as I know it today. The Cotterell family, Madame Juliette dans le jardin, hotel bedroom, merrymaking, and Mona Dunn. There was such an uproar after merrymaking that Mona barely heard her name. Where will we spend the evening when we're being restored? A swarthy man Mona didn't recognize shouted. Despite having lived in the gallery for nearly 60 years, she still ran across residents who rarely left their paintings, especially a painting like Merrymaking, with its dozens of people both inside and outside the White Horse Inn. Max shrugged. But as faces began to purple, he added, Calm down. Sir Thomas Samwell has agreed to host folks over at Bacchanalian Place while merrymaking is restored. Satisfied? He waited for the grumbling to trickle away. Be prepared to go downstairs at a moment's notice. Keep your paintings organized. Now, if you'll allow me to continue, I do have other news. Someone started to speak but was hushed. No one really wanted to cross the boss, the resident's nickname for Max. The gallery will host a fundraising party on Friday night. Attendance is down this year as are donations. As you well know, Operating a world-class enterprise like this requires lots of money, and I expect you to look sharp during the party. No pained faces, please and thank you, regardless of the ridiculous things the guests say. A few snickers volleyed their way around the meeting. Everyone had a handful of gallery patron horror stories. Max acknowledged the laughter with a quick grin. Also, the museum will host several week-long summer camps, but with a twist. The final night of each week will include a sleepover. What is the sleepover thing? Andre Readmore asked. 
His painting was almost 600 years old, and he'd been on loan to another gallery when the last sleepover was held in 1998. The children taking part in the art camps get to spend the night in the gallery at the end of the week, Mona whispered, even though, if truth be told, she was a little afraid of the stern-faced giant bear of a man who strode about in his fur-trimmed green velvet cape. Why would they do that? he demanded. It sounds bothersome, yeah? Mona remembered the last sleepover fondly, an opinion not shared by Sir Charles, who rallied against allowing rambunctious ragamuffins to spend the night. Max's booming voice silenced all opposition. Enough! Director Singer is of the opinion that such activities encourage family participation in art. Family participation means more income. Surely we can put aside our personal feelings for the good of the gallery. He means the good of Lord Beaverbrook, someone muttered. Mona twisted around. The speaker was British author W. Somerset Maugham, who was being held in the arms of a man Mona didn't recognize. Mom winked at Mona, and she grinned in return. She liked him. It was too bad he had the misfortune of being a sketch of a head. While Mona's painting only showed her from the waist up, her artist had thought of the whole of her, which meant when she left her portrait, she was a complete person. Mom's artist had focused solely on the head. Mom could only leave his painting if someone remembered to go down to the workroom in the basement and get him. At least he could talk. No one liked the sketches of bodiless hands that tended to creep up at the most inopportune and frightening times. Max pulled out his pocket watch. It is almost 6.30 a.m., he said. The security shift change will be occurring soon. I suggest we all return to our paintings. Have a good day. A few people near the front clapped, hoping Max would notice and think kindly of them in the future. Then, like theater goers after a performance, everyone shuffled off toward the frame, where they lined up, chatting and laughing as they waited for a turn to step into the narrow passages behind the walls that magically led to the gallery's various rooms and their individual paintings. Before Lord Beaverbrook himself could leave, a man emerged from the shadows behind him and whispered something in his ear. Mr. Dusk was Beaverbrook's right-hand man. He lived in Hotel Bedroom, located in the Hosmer Pillow Vaughan Gallery. His artist, Lucien Freud, was world famous, and the painting had brought countless visitors to the gallery. But Freud had painted Dusk as a gray, shadowy figure, and because of that, 
most of the residents of the gallery gave him a wide berth. Max nodded as Dusk spoke and then held up a hand. Wait up, he called. Mr. Dusk here has reminded me I've forgotten something. Those already out of the painting poked their heads back in while everyone else turned their attention back to the boss. The gallery director's son is arriving today, Max said, smiling. I didn't know he had a son, someone said. Mona nodded. She hadn't known either. He does indeed, Max said. A 12-year-old lad named Sergeant. Apparently he's quite an artist. I assume he will participate in the art camps. Director Singer is very excited. And that is definitely that. Off you go. Mona was shoved along toward the frame and had nearly escaped when Max's booming voice caught up with her. I would see you, Mona Dunn. Mona sighed. She'd been right. She wasn't getting off scot-free this time. Chapter 2 Sergeant Singer's stepfather, Bill, hummed as he eased the Mercedes into the drop-off zone for Terminal B at LaGuardia Airport. It was 6.30 in the morning on the last day of June, and Sergeant was exhausted. Not from getting up early, but because he hadn't slept at all. Are you sure this is the right terminal for Air Canada? His mother asked, her knuckles white from clutching Sergeant's ticket and boarding pass. Yes, Sarah, Bill said. He leaned forward to pop the trunk and then climbed out of the car. Sergeant was wriggling across the back seat to the door closest to the curb when his mother placed a hand on his arm. He froze, anticipating more motherly advice. In the past week, she'd subjected him to three serious sit-down discussions. Obviously, that wasn't enough to convince her he'd be fine. She also tucked six pages filled with emergency phone numbers, email addresses, a detailed travel itinerary, a map of emergency exits of the airplane, and a summer reading list into the front pocket of his knapsack. She hadn't been this worried when he'd gone to Paris last summer to study at the Sorbonne. But this trip was different. He was going to visit his father, and anything to do with Isaac Singer made his mother a wreck. Sergeant shook off her hand. Mom, I gotta go. He was free of her grip, but not from her intense blue eyes. I know. Look, if it doesn't work out, Mom, I'll be fine. Sure, he hadn't spent much time with his father over the years, but the guy ran an art gallery 
and Sargent was a painter. They'd have that in common, wouldn't they? I know, but if he starts acting strange... Sargent couldn't tell what part of the queasy feeling in his stomach was due to his mother's worries or his own. Mom, stop. He asked me to spend the summer. His mother sniffed. (laughs) Spending the summer is very different from spending a weekend. Like he didn't already know that. No way were they rehashing his history with Isaac again. Not here, not now. He wouldn't have the guts to get on the plane. Bill's waiting, I gotta go. He watched her turn, roll down her window, and hold up a finger to her husband. One minute, darling. Bill tapped his watch. Let him go, Sarah. Security can take a while. We don't want him to miss his flight. Afraid that missing his flight was exactly what his mother had in mind, Sergeant scrambled out of the car and joined Bill, who drew him into a warm hug. Have a great summer, pal, Bill said, thumping Sergeant on the back. Don't worry about your mom. By the time we're back in the city, she'll have forgotten she even has a son. Bill meant it as a joke, but it stung a little. Sargent was the child of his mother's first marriage and had been an only child for almost seven years before she had remarried. Then his mom had two more kids, twins, Ainsley and Ashley. And Sargent was forced to share her not only with Bill, but with a couple of Disney princesses come to life. While Sargent was happy to hole up in his bedroom with his paints or a good book, the twins were like his mom and Bill, non-stop talkers who loved being the center of attention. It was like they were this perfect family of four, plus awkward him. Sargent was going to miss them all, but the thought of a little peace and quiet with no one bugging him to paint their nails or play Sleeping Beauty was appealing. I heard that. His mother joined them on the sidewalk. Despite her obvious distress, she still looked impeccable. And Sargent was sure she had reapplied her lipstick before getting out of the car. Ignore Bill, Sergeant. He's just being silly. Now listen. Text me when you are past security, when you board, and when you land in Toronto and Fredericton. Okay? Sergeant nodded, knowing there'd be text waiting for him at every stop along the way. If he didn't respond, she might call out the FBI or something. Sarah, give him a hug. We can't stay in this spot much longer. Bill thumped Sergeant on the back, then circled around and climbed behind the wheel. Maybe I should go in the terminal with you? Mom, come on. I don't need you to come in with me. The Air Canada lady is waiting for me at the desk. If you come in, it'll just drag things out. Please. Eyes glistening. Sergeant's mother held him in a vice-like grip that seemed improbable for anyone so tiny. Fine, I love you, sweetheart. Be good. 
I hope everything goes well with your father. Remember, I'm just a phone call away. Sergeant could feel a lump forming in his throat. While he wanted to spend the summer with his dad and get to know him better, part of him wanted to stay home too. Home was familiar, safe. Afraid he might cry or worse, chicken out of going, he nodded and fled through the revolving door and into the airport.